This is The Real Magic Podcast. Learn about great design and use it to get great results. Now your hosts, Greg Merrilies and Alan Nunez. Hello, listener, and thank you for joining Greg and I today for The Real Magic Design Podcast, where we unpack our experience to help designers and business owners understand how to create amazing designs and work together to make design that is profitable. I am Alan from Pixel Partners HQ, and here is my co-host, Greg from Studio One Design. G'day, Greg. G'day, Al. How are you, buddy? Mate, I'm excited. I'm excited. We have somebody who's one of our original guests on the show and a good friend of both you and I waiting in the wings. And I just, I I don't want to do anything else but get straight into this. I couldn't agree more, mate. So, okay. Today, our very special guest is James Shramko. So, James Shramko was our, oh, sorry, he is our first repeat guest on the Real Magic Podcast. We interviewed James way back in episode 10, where James shared his backstory and how quality design has played an important part in James's business and all the events that he's run over the past decade. James also touched on how managing Sydney's leading Mercedes-Benz dealership showed him how important it is to maintain consistency with branding and core values of a successful business. James has now coached over 2,000 businesses. I'm one of them, and he has taken many of them from five figures per annum to six figures, from six to seven, and has even coached eight-figure business owners. James has two online coaching communities, superfastbusiness.com and silvercircle.com. And James has a straightforward, no BS, contrarian approach to solving business owners' challenges. After a decade of business coaching, James has a sixth sense of knowing how to guide business owners with the right shortcuts to success no matter where they are at in their business. And now James has released his first book, Work Less, Make More, that's the title, where James has now compressed his best knowledge into a single book. And today we're going to dive deep into the topics into the book to help you shortcut your success. We're lucky to have James here on the Real Magic Podcast, so be prepared to take notes and you will probably want to listen to this episode at least twice because there will be some amazing value bombs. So welcome, James Shramko. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure, James. So the book has a killer title, Work Less, Make More. And the tagline is the counterintuitive approach to building a profitable business and a life you actually love. And I just love that tagline. So you obviously value branding and it's not easy to come up with a memorable brand name. So I can imagine it would have been even harder to come up with a short and catchy book title since it's essentially something that people will know you by and is very important of your overall brand. So James, why is it called Work Less, Make More? And was it hard to come up with that title? Well, Kelly Exeter, who was really crucial in helping me get this book together from the original idea saying, hey, why don't you have a book (laughs) through to I Will Help You, through to her thinking about what it is that I actually do because if you speak to different people within my community, they would know me for different things. And I've always had trouble describing what it is that I do, especially when I had multiple businesses. I could be a website development business. I could be an SEO business. I could be a coaching business. I could be a super affiliate. There's so many different things. But in the end, she said, you know what? Uh, I think work less, make more describes what you can help people with the most because if you put the various components together of the things that I have been sharing with my students, they all pretty much point to that same thing and it has become a way of life for me where I went from that corporate droning of uh, discontent 
through to my own business, I didn't go all the way to hammocks and riches. Like my idea is not to do absolutely nothing. I want to do good work and creative work. At the same time, I don't feel compelled to strap on a suit and tie and work 19 hour days. So there's there's somewhere in the middle, I think, where you can have a good life and enjoy what you're doing and get paid for it, much in the same way as the Japanese expression ikigai, which is talking about that harmonized position in the middle where everything fits together. I think that's that's the promise and we deliver on that promise in the book. Yeah, absolutely. And listener, go search up Ikigai just in Google. James's post on the topic will come up as number one and yeah, highly recommend you listen to that podcast episode. Yeah, definitely. And, and look, James, you know, both Greg and I have known you for such a long time and the title you came up with your book, just i think it fits perfectly i mean you know when you're looking for a a frictionless book name that actually resonates with the result you couldn't summarize it up any any better and and look you know in in the start of your book you you get right into the nitty-gritty you ask the hard questions you sort of you start with the big question of you know are you leaving life on the table and explain Sort of that little, I think between the the intro and you know the first chapter about personal effectiveness, you, you uh, explain your journey through where you were and how you got to where you are today. Um, and I think my favourite thing is that you talk about taking action. Can you sort of tell us a little bit more about that aha moment when you realised you were leaving life on the table? Well, I, th- I think for, you know if, if you're following that story at a fairly young age, I you know started having kids. And that was <laughs> that was like the start of a good decade or two of uh, it was probably a decade and a half of absolute sheer grind, panic, and stress. You know, I had to at that age of twenty three and a salary of thirty five thousand dollars. I realised I had to provide for a family, and in a non snobby way, the city that I just happened to have been raised in is not cheap. You know, Sydney is one of the most expensive cities in the world to live, and, and you know, if you, if unless you want to move to somewhere more regional or go to a different state, uh, which is totally fine, and and people do that. I just wanted to stay around my local area where I grew up, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But it's just not easy to do when the average home price was over a million dollars. <laughs> so I realised I needed to earn more. And to earn more, I had to initially work more and I had to upscale the type of work that I was doing and I found leverage points. Instead of having a fixed income on a salary, I was able to go into a sales role, which you know, theoretically didn't have a ceiling, although of course it does. And I worked my way right through to the point where I'd maxed out what I could achieve as an employee. Now, unless you're an employee of a really large corporation, you're not going to be making a huge income so I'd, I'd reached that point and I had to I had to make changes again so I just went through that entire decade and a half of I guess a lot of strain and I realized it's just not healthy if you were to go back 10 years I still had a job and I was doing my online business on the side and I wasn't getting a lot of sleep and I was you know, overloaded frustrated um you know, battling away, trying to make this business work, and it was tough. 
But to get to the other side of it, I thought, you know what, there's some lessons here that other people could take to heart and get to where I've gotten to much faster. And in fact, some of my students are making DECA millions per year now, uh, which is exciting to see how far they've taken some of these ideas. If you bolt these onto an existing business, then they're even more powerful. I hope that sort of addresses some of your question. Yeah, definitely. And for me, like it's leading towards, you know, the fact that you now work a lot less than what you did then and you make a lot more. And in the book, you talk about the EHR, the effective hourly rate. Could you just talk about some action, action items to increase somebody's effective hourly rate and what that actually means? Yeah, so effective hourly rate is just a great uh, simple calculation to figure out if the things that you're spending time on are paying you well. So uh, it's, it's roughly the amount of profit that you make divided by the number of hours that you needed to get that profit. So, for example, if you had a job, then your salary is pretty much profit. Divide by the number of hours that you work. You might, you know, let's say you work at McDonald's or something and you're young, you might be making $10 an hour, $15 an hour. Uh, if you are an entrepreneur building your own websites and um, paying for a lot of costs uh, like advertising, uh, maybe you rent an office, maybe you've got s some other costs like printing design for example and then you may be selling some things but not the right business model and and you're putting a fair bit of effort into it let's say you have a little e-commerce store and you've got a garage full of stock which you paid for and then you have to pay for shipping and stuff and your profit margin on that e-commerce business might only be small anyway like 20 percent so by the time you work out what your actual profit is divide by the enormous number of hours you spent tinkering around with your website and posting labels onto things and driving to the post office, you might work out that you actually make $2 an hour. And for some people, they would literally be better off to go and get a job and not have all the stress and hassle. So I say as a rule of thumb, you probably want to make at least three times whatever you can make in a job if you're going to do your own business. If you can't make at least three times, it's probably not worth the stress. So that's the calculation. Things that you can do to improve it are to have a better business model that pays you over and over again instead of one time. You could spend like five hours less per day on Facebook and maybe I'm being harsh, but that seems <laughs> to be a big time suck uh, for most people. And just doing that would make that your average hour more profitable okay uh you could unsubscribe from all the the frenzy of stuff that's coming into your inbox overwhelming you you could identify which products or services you sell that are more profitable and stop putting effort into ones that are less profitable you could sit down and figure out of all the actions you could do which actions are far more potent and powerful for your business and which ones are really just spinning the wheels and i'll give you an example from my own experience when i started online i actually spent a fair bit of time mucking around with the font and the color and layout of my website even though i wasn't even sure what i was selling or how to get traffic to it <laughs> or how that might convert and of course i didn't get paid for that nothing was happening my effective hourly rate was probably in the sense you know it was 
ridiculous. For nine months, I, I didn't make any money at all. And for some people, they're actually spending a lot of money. They have a negative effective hourly rate. They lose money every hour they spend on their business. You could also put a, a, a partition up and say, right, I'm only going to work at these times. Or uh, here's a simple one. Only ever work when you've got energy, when you feel like it, when you're into it. If you only did that, you'll probably be far more productive than if you try and do work when you don't feel like it. For example, I won't do anything important late at night because I'm already probably fatigued by then or I've used up my amount of energy for the day and my work's going to take five times longer. So I just pack it in. I just switch off the computer and I say, you know what, I'm going to get a good night's sleep and I'm going to attack it in the morning. And I could do something in the morning within five minutes that might take me an hour at 11 o'clock at night. So don't even try. Look, absolutely. And I think, James, one of the things that I've learned from you over the years is really the ability to work out what is important and and what's not. And you've always uh, said, you know, make a list of all the things you do and then work on transferring them to you know, somebody else in the business. Now, in, in the book, you talk about, you know, writing it down on a post-it note and collecting all those post-it notes and then just picking up one of the post-it notes and moving it moving it forwards. How important do you think it is to actually take an, an inventory of what it is you're doing? Because I think as, as business owners and entrepreneurs, we tend to get busy doing work that we think is important to our business, but maybe isn't generating as much profit or moving the business forward forwards as as possible um how important is it to really know what you're doing each day well a lot of things are measurable which is good for example you can install software that will tell you where you spend your time and the first few weeks that you look at the results you might be surprised and so awareness is the first step and i do think it's very important if you can measure it and you're interested in improving your effective hourly rate which is really one of the steps towards working less and making more then it's probably worthwhile, you know, if you're not entirely happy with how life is right this minute. But even in my life where things are going well, I still, out of curiosity, uh, will do some calculations. I'll work out, say, for my coaching memberships, I'll work out how many members I have, what's the average annual subscription, and so what's the annualized amount of profit for that business division and how many hours do I spend on that over a year? And I can work out of my two products, which one is more profitable? And then I can actually mix my attention more towards the more profitable one. And then step two might be to improve or refine the less profitable one to see if I can increase or improve that effective hourly rate. And if I keep doing that, then I get incremental improvement. Uh, or as you know, the Japanese philosophy is called Kaizen, but it's this never-ending improvement concept. Yeah, that's killer, which sort of leads to taking it that one step further using the power of 64 to 4. Now, I think most, you know, business owners these days have heard of the 80-20 rule, but you've got a, you know, a different take on that and you take it one step further. Can you just sort of talk about the 64 to 4 principle and, and even share a case study on it? Sure. Well, uh, you know, as Perry Marshall, who put out a book called 8020, he said it's like the 8020 squared, (laughs) uh, this this concept, when he read my book uh, recently. (laughs) Um, So 64-4, it really is actually the 8020 of the 8020, without getting really geeky, and I'm not super geeky or good at maths, even though it might sound like I am. (laughs) According to the Pareto Principle, 
or the 80-20 rule, 20% of your invested input is responsible for 80% of the results obtained. Like that is already pretty interesting, right? Yeah. That most of what you're getting comes from just a fifth of the things you're doing. Uh, but if you take it one step further and apply the rule to itself, and they do say, uh, Richard Koch, who put out the original book, said it is fractal, which means this does apply. 4% of what you do generates 64% of your results. Can you, can you believe it? It's like 4%. Like hardly any of the things that you're doing actually get you more than half, almost two-thirds of the results you're getting. So I think that's just wild. So as long as you're doing the right things, then you could get by. So you could, it's safe to say you could stop doing a lot of the things that you're doing and there would be absolutely no negative impact like nothing and in fact one of my great bosses taught me this this boss was uh, very shy and would not get involved and was absent for long periods like months in some cases <laughs> and nothing would ever happen never anything that was sent to him for decision would never come back it was a black hole. And what I realized was all the things that I sent to him that he never got back to, you know, life just went on. So when I bumped into this guy called Jared uh, a few years ago, you know, he was really smart and he was a PE teacher and he was doing all sorts of cool stuff. But he had this sort of constraint that, that he needed to have a lot of products. And he also felt that he still needed to be a teacher at the same time as serving the PE teachers to have credibility. Mm. And I challenged all of his assumptions. I said, well, okay, why are you still a teacher? So once he stopped being a teacher, he pulled back 60 hours a week. Can you imagine what that did <laughs> for his effective hourly rate? Yeah. 60 hours redeployed back into his more profitable business because you know teachers' salaries aren't that great, uh, especially for the amount of effort they go through. Like, you know how hard it is to manage one kid or two kids or four, yeah. but imagine... 30 kids at a time all day long <laughs> like so anyway um he also had some ideas around um you know i said you don't need all these products you don't need a theme song for pe teachers you know <laughs> you're not a dj you don't need t-shirts so he he cut a lot of the product lines that he had that he was spending time on but weren't necessarily putting profit back into his business. And we just focused on the ones that were working. So one of my favorite questions is, of all your products or services, which one brings you the most profit? You know, which ones do you enjoy the most? Uh, which one do you sell the most volume of? You know, and we look for those and, and we start dropping the bad product lines. And we did this a lot in the automotive industry. You can't stock every type of every car. You have to be selective. So we'd actually work out which ones make the most profit. And we would use most of our stock allocation towards the most profitable models. And it just makes sense when you think about it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, <clears throat> the reality is, is that um, I've done this exercise and it is just unbelievably powerful. Now, in your book, I'm going to sort of shoot forwards a, a couple of topics here because I think these are super, super important. In your book, you, you have a fabulous chapter about actually building a team, you know, leveraging, um, you know, hiring staff or, or contractors or however you want to describe them, but basically taking the work off your plate and getting it onto somebody else's plate. Now, you give a brilliant list of mistakes. Now, I would recommend that all of our listeners go get the book, 
um, and get get you know get through the chapters and get to the the building a team. It is fabulous, but I don't want to actually dig deep into that. What I want to talk about is something that I think so many business owners just don't quite get right, which is their offer. And you talk in the book about having an offer that converts. What what advice do you have for our listener about that? that's critical point of their business well we should explain what that is but it is the key that unlocks everything it's as close as you get to the holy grail because it's simply when you give people the opportunity to buy something from you and then they buy it right (laughs) that's that is that's what you need if you want to have a successful business if you do not have that, you don't have any money coming in and that means you can't hire a team. It means you can't stay in business. It means you have a hobby maybe uh, or passion. So if you're spending more than you're making, that's the opposite of wealth building. Wealth <laughs> 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 So I would say put a lot of attention on that. So, so I don't jump straight into that as chapter one because people have other obstacles they need to remove before they get to that. But as soon as you're ready for, for this, the offer that converts is really just absolutely critical. Because once you find that, you will have money coming in and then you can scale it. That's the game. The game is what can people buy and now how do I build that into a, a, a more profitable, bigger version of that? And the counterintuitive part is that as it scales, you can actually step away from the business more and have more time off because I can do more revenue and profit in my business and work less hours with a little team of five selling just two main products because people want to buy those products and the products get results and the product pays money into our business which goes back into staff and now my team can manage the support. My team can compile the emails. Uh, I can have designers like Greg uh, making websites because these are things that I should not be doing. I, I should not be under the hood. Uh, and, you know, both of you know I can't design at all. <laughs> so I'm much better to hire a professional, as is anyone on this. And I can't emphasize this point any more than this. People buy the cover, not the book. You've got to have amazing design. And you, maybe you can quote that part somewhere, but you must have <laughs> amazing design now because... There's more websites than ever before and design is one way you can have people feel about your brand and know instantly what you're all about before they, you know, before they lose interest and flip away. So the book cover, the website, uh, all your materials, very important. So as a business owner, once I've got that offer that converts, I can now reinvest into scaling my offer, making it more attractive, designing it better building a team to support it, then working on the next offer and the next offer by understanding my customers even better each time. Look, I think that's super powerful. And I mean, it's interesting that you say that, you know, the, the design is so important when you're, when, when people are, are buying as far, part of that conversion process. In the book, you also talk about having a, a minimum viable product and you know, actually you're getting it up there and seeing that it converts. And I think you know, James, you talked about doing your own design in the early days. How do you avoid that pitfall of spending too much time, you know, coming up with the idea, developing it, maybe trying to come up with the perfect product that you think is going to, well, not you, 
you being a plural, so that the, the, the person working on it thinks is going to be the greatest product ever, to then find out that after a year or two's work, they launch it and nobody buys it. Like, how do you how do you manage that risk factor of going too far when you're trying to make the offer that converts initially? You, you ignore customers' um, preference and you focus more on their performance. People will often say they want something, but then they won't back it up with their wallet. So it'd be ideal if you could sell the thing first and then build it. That would be ideal. And it is possible. You might think, oh, that's impossible. But I would say if you've ever been to a live event, you probably bought the ticket first and then went to the event. So it is possible to sell something first. In, In case both of you guys, I'm sure you sell designs up front and then provide the design. So, so you can have a get paid first model. That's good. If you can't or you still need to build something, at least just go for the low resolution version. Just get the first draft out there. Don't worry about being a perfectionist. Just acknowledge that where you start is not where you will finish. So be open to change. And also you probably have a little bit of reluctance because you feel that you might get rejected and people might say no, but that's just the nature of Mm. life (laughs) you don't get a yes every single time so just start that process and you'll eventually get a yes if you keep refining that idea and if you really know your customer and then once you get the low tech version of it out there then i would start applying some filters to 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 wiggle that offer into a better offer like aiming it more for recurring income instead of one-time or building an asset instead of something that that doesn't that's not saleable and making sure that you have some future like i wouldn't go and set up a vhs rental store right now because i think that those days have seen their best i don't know retro's in james uh, I, I saw online that casio casio's uh, selling a, an old digital watch that i think uh, i might have had when i was five or six years old sorry that was a, a complete tangent it's, it's not a bad one i i did you know i did s- sit uh, next to my son yesterday we had lunch my parents and my son 22 year old son was there and he had a watch, like a thin Casio-style watch that w- looked like the same sort of watch I had when we were kids. But I, th- <laughs> I think whilst things come around, I, w- I would say maybe that's a fad and there's a difference between a fad and, you know, strong online trends. For example, Greg made a great switch from T-shirts for wholesale customers f- for department stores to websites for online experts authors and influencers and i can see clearly that the you know that market is is expanding at a great rate so i think it was a good move yeah 100 percent. and alan you were very early to set up a team overseas which you know a lot of businesses will discover in five or ten years from now you know your local accountant will start having a bookkeeper in the philippines whereas that's probably uncommon at the moment only large companies like our biggest telecommunications companies have the team offshore at the moment. A lot of that's thanks to you, James, because obviously you you know you coached us into, especially me, pivoting from that t-shirt business to website design. So yeah, I mean, look, from my point of view, I would not have made such a successful pivot without your coaching. So that's the type of thing that James does for businesses. Yeah, and, and look, I was going to be supportive of the, the, the concept of sell it first and minimum viable product. I mean, one of the first 
things that I learned from James that I actioned was sell it first. I mean, it made complete sense to me. And my my early ventures into design and, you know, marketing support services, I had an offer. I put it out to, to clients and I sold it. And then I worried about how I was going to deliver it. I mean, I had a framework, but I certainly didn't know every step that was there. And you know, if I look back, say, 10 years ago to today, it is so much easier to have a minimum viable product. And I, and I know there are, there are business owners out there that are going to listen to this and say, oh, but I have a physical product business or I'm a retailer. Or, you know, I can't do it. And, you know, it's it's not true. It's easy to have things like pre-order offers, right? If, if you get uh, conversions on a pre-order, you don't even have to take money, then your actual product is likely to convert. James, you're you're a big um, user of waiting lists. You know, if, if you put an offer out there and say, would you like to be on the waiting list? If you get enough people on that waiting list, then you're likely to have something that people want. I mean, we do a lot of 3D rendering of, of products within our business for our customers. Uh, we also do graphical representations and Photoshop mock-ups of things that don't exist yet. And they're taking these visual representations online to their customers or their prospective customers saying, would you like to go on a pre-order list for this? And if they get enough signups, then they switch to manufacturing. They, they pay for all the tooling. They get their you know minimum order quantities from the factories and they push forwards you know don't be scared of experimenting with offers that convert it is a lot easier today than i think it's ever been um for, for business owners to, to push forwards on that absolutely i mean we used a mock-up of our book cover um, before the physical book came and I've, I've now just got the first proof of the physical book which is going on live on amazon today but it was handy for customers to see what it was going to look like and allowed them to pre-order the Kindle because it it looks more like an actual book. So we can definitely utilize fantastic design to uh, in the same way that a building designer does with with a display home or a mock up or a graphical representation uh, of an extension to a property before you actually build it. It's just pro level and and everyone should get behind that. Mm, I love it. And also you've got an audience and one thing that you talk about in your book is the customer lifetime value and, you know, how you can offer different things to the same customer. If you look at, you know, you have superfastbusiness.com, which is a membership for, you know, five to six figure businesses mainly, right? I know there's some higher level businesses in there, but then you also have Silver Circle, which is more the, you know, taking business from five figures per annum to six or six to seven, seven to eight, et cetera. So you can really be there for the whole lifespan of a customer from the beginning of the journey to the end. So can you just sort of talk a little bit more about the customer lifetime value and, and uh, you know, how people can utilize that in, in their businesses? It's just a great number to know is what a customer actually brings to your business in terms of profit. Because if you know that, you can afford to invest up to that amount to get that customer without losing money. And ideally, you spend a little less than the customer lifetime value to acquire that customer. But sometimes it's actually a lot more than you think. For example, in my business, a high-level customer for me might be worth around $18,000 in the first year. They might stay for two years. That, that customer could be worth 
$36,000. Now, I could afford to spend $5,000 to acquire that customer, which is probably more than we might realize. We might look at a Facebook campaign and think, oh, I've spent $500. You know, if you could generate a customer for $500 that brings in $36,000, it's actually a good deal. And you might do more. And now, if you can actually spend more than your competitor to acquire a customer, then that puts you at the top of the the advertising pile. You can, and this is why big companies uh, who have deep pockets or who have customers who spend a lot with them over a long time can outbid you on advertising platforms. And that's why it's so important to have a to have profit in your business because you can reinvest some of that up to your customer lifetime value without losing money. I love that. Yeah, and I'm doing a Facebook advertising campaign at the moment while I'm hiring Alana to, she's been on our podcast before, to run it for me. And yeah, it's very competitive. And so, you know, even though we're, you know, we've got a, a daily budget, uh, just based on what you said, I think we might quadruple that budget because yeah, realistically, I should be looking more at the lifetime value of the customer rather than the value of the first sale. So great tips there. Thanks, James. And, and also, too, I mean, in, in the book, you remind us that it is quite often more effective to retain uh, your existing customers and, and encourage them to buy more. So, I mean, a lot of businesses might have, uh, today might have a lifetime value, but if they just look at the, the way they're operating the business, they could extend that lifetime value dramatically with a lot less cost than it takes to actually um, uh, go out and acquire a, a, a new customer. And, and I mean, you're a great example of that, where you've got your, your different levels of membership, James, and then you put on live events. Now, the interesting thing about the way you do it is both of those contribute to the lifetime value, but they can both be inroads. So it's not like people start with the membership, then go to the live event or vice versa. It could go either way when you get a customer you've got to think of well what else could i offer them that they would be more than happy to shell out money for that you can deliver value on to double triple quadruple the lifetime value of that customer and and just on that james what do you think the one biggest thing you've done to over the years to to really supercharge that lifetime value in your business probably the 10 times 10x scenario or sorry the 10 percent 10x scenario where 10% of your audience will likely pay 10% more for something that you have. So in my case, as you know, I've got two main products and one product has about 8% of the customers of the main product, but they pay like 20 something times more. So the easiest way to boost your lifetime customer value is to add an additional product on top that is more expensive and uh, also, I'm a big fan of looking for recurring solutions. So if you're selling a one-time solution right now, I'd be looking to answer this sort of question. What sort of problem could I continue to solve for this customer on an ongoing basis that they would be happy to pay for? And then I'd be looking to provide that at a cost-effective way. And using that technique, I was able to develop uh, an SEO business that was doing in excess of a million dollars a year in revenue at a high profit margin just by solving an ongoing challenge that, that customers were having, and particularly people with e-commerce stores. Great example of someone who's got a lot of product lines. They're always updating them. They, they need to stay at the top of Google to 
avoid being drowned out by large companies like Amazon. So they were prime candidates for that kind of business. And it, and it was a case of where I originally started that doing that SEO work, I did it on a one-time basis, which was crazy. When I switched to recurring, it unlocked a whole revenue stream. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I think... Re- recurring business models are becoming more and more common across so many different businesses and platforms today that if you don't have some kind of recurring offering for your customers, then you, you need to look and work out what that might be. And it might take a little bit of a pivot in, in your business to make that accommodation. James, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast and, and, and sharing this fantastic book that, that you've written. Uh, normally, we ask our guests to, to sort of give one thing that our listeners could action today, apart from buying your book, of course, which is up on Amazon. So go and have a look, listener, and, and hit the, the buy now button. But a one piece of advice you could give our listener that, that could, they could take action on and get a result today. I would go and... Work on your offer that converts. I'd go and look at what is it that you're currently selling. Of all the things you're selling or that you could sell if you're not selling something now, if you have a job and you're thinking, I want to go into your own business, that's fine. But think about of all the offers that you could sell, um, which ones will bring you the most profit, uh, the most joy to your life, will be the easiest for you to put together in a low-resolution version that you could focus on uh, that you could put more of your attention on and which products or offers or pipe dreams do you have that you could just write down on a piece of paper and just file that away into a someday file and take away from your focal point to, to not focus on so that you've got more of a chance of maximizing the results that you get. That's killer, James. I love it. And listener, just so you know, James has oh, he, he has an amazing business and he only works around 20 to 25 hours a week. So he walks the walk. And if you read his book, Work Less, Make More, you too can have those sort of results. So James, just really want to thank you for your amazing value bomb after value bomb. And yeah, listener, if you want to learn how to grow your business faster, you might want to go to jamesshramco.com where it has links to James's book and Superfast Business and Silver Circle. And James, how else could uh, people follow you? Well, there's a Facebook page for Superfast Business. Uh, we post a fair bit of stuff there if you're already on Facebook. And uh, that's an easy way just to tick subscribe to that. But yeah, I would go to jamesshramco.com, which is a Beautiful Greg Merrilee's design. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> and uh, it's it's getting great feedback that people oh, cool. like the simple. Maybe just go and check it out for the design perspective. If you like that, ask uh, Greg for something like that. <laughs> if you like the workbooks at my event, then uh, ask Alan to make you some. <laughs> Get some great <laughs> feedback on those. I'm surrounded by genius designers, which is lucky. Uh, so yeah, jamesramco.com. S C H R A M. KO. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Thank you, James. Thanks, James. Thanks for listening to The Real Magic Podcast. Hear more at therealmagic.com.